glad to be at church today. Is anybody glad to be in God's house? Come on. Let's give Jesus all the praise, all the glory, all the worship, man. It all belongs to him. And I just want to also welcome everybody who's not with us today, not with us in the room. And I want to tell you, it is a whole lot better when you're here, all right? It's just a lot better when you're here in person. So if you're local to Wichita Falls and you've been watching online, we want to take just a moment to give you a personal invitation to come to church, but don't come at 1045 come at 12.30, all right, because it's a room full of people today. Come on, let's welcome everybody on the other side of the camera. Glad you're with us. Glad you're part of our church family. We're, uh, I, I want to recognize a group of people this morning who really are the ones who pull Sundays off, talking about the dream team, talking about a group of people who get here as early as 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock. They're setting up uh, directional signs at intersections. They're helping park cars. They are shuttling people over from the junior league. They're, they're just uh, making a difference through the way they greet at the door or hand out a worship guide or make that fresh coffee for you or serving at kids' check-in or in the kids' ministry or the worship and production. I could go on and on. I just want to take a moment. Let's recognize them. Let's put our hands together for everybody who's serving on the Dream Team. We're thankful for you. So grateful for you. And, and listen, I want to give you a personal invitation that if you have not yet gone through the growth track, if you're thinking, man, how do I get plugged in? How do I step into my purpose? How do I get connected? How do I join the church? Growth track is the way that we do that. It's every Sunday. Starting next week, it's after every service, okay? So it'll be even after the 1230 service. Every Sunday, we do next Sunday, step one. So that's vision. It's who we are as a church. It's uh, church finances. It is who am I accountable to as the pastor here? Who are my overseers? Those kinds of things. And, and then step two is all about gifts and passions and purpose and all of that. And I want to invite you to, to, to take that step of faith. I want to invite you to, to discover who God has created you, who he's called you to be. And I want to, I want to just say something a little bit bold here is that... We do need you on the team. That's true. We need you. To, in order, we could do more if there were more people serving, but here's the bold part is that you need us more. You, you need to serve more than we actually need you serving. And that's what I mean by that is that there's gifts and talents. There's things that God's put in your heart, and you will never be fulfilled in this life until you're doing what God has called you to do. So come on, next Sunday, let's take those steps. Take those steps. It's going to be powerful. And, and I'm so thankful uh, that we have that opportunity to, to do that every single Sunday. Step one next week, all right? So today we're in week four of a, a series that we're calling um, Counterculture. And we're just trying to learn how do we live counter to the culture that we're in, right? We're living in a society. We're living in a culture that's kind of pushing some things, pushing some of its values, some of its uh, desires upon us. And so what we're learning is how do we stand firm and how do we love well in a culture of compromise, in a culture that's bowing down around us. And we, we want to we do both. We want to stand firm and love well. We want to have truth and grace. And if you've missed the first couple weeks, go back online. You can hit that up on uh, podcasts, on, uh, on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube or on our church website. You can go there and watch those. But the thing that I want to help us understand today is, if you could write this down, it's early in your notes, but get ready to write this down, it's this, that you're either setting the culture, you're either going to set it, or you're going to reflect it. So when you go to school tomorrow, you walk through those hallways, you're setting it or you're reflecting. 
You walk into the office building, you're setting the culture or you're reflecting the culture. You walk into that locker room, you're setting the culture, you're reflecting the culture. You, you uh, are in that uh, university class. Whatever it is, you're setting it or you're reflecting it. You're, you're doing one or the other. And I believe that God's called us to be a thermostat not a thermometer. He's called us to set the culture according to the word of God and to not just reflect it, to not just be a thermostat that tells what the, the culture's doing. Come on, somebody. And so um, this week, as I was preparing for this message, we got a text message. Uh, Annalise and I got a text from uh, somebody here at the church, and I'm not on social media, but uh, this, this was something that happened on social media, so they screenshotted it, sent it to me. And you know, on social media, sometimes when people move to an area, they ask a question like, hey, where, uh, what's a good church? We're new here, you know, recommend some churches that we should try. And, you know, people were recommending City Hope, and you ought to try this one or that one. There's a lot of great churches in our community, but uh, all, of, all of you always go, you got to come to City Hope, right? You got to come to City Hope. And so there was uh, this, what I'm about to show you is the culture, is, is the kind of living, the kind of truth and grace stand firm, love well attitude that I want us to have. It's what I want Wichita Falls to see in us, all right? It's this. As, as people were responding to this person's post, look at this. This person says, okay, full disclaimer, I'm an atheist. I do not attend church, but as an objective, conscientious observer, City Hope Church has made a massive impact in our community, and if I were to pick or attend a church, that's the one I'd want my family at. Come on, Come on somebody. Yeah. That's what we want. Stand firm, love well. Truth and grace. And when you do it, guess what? It's attractive to people. They go, I don't even know if I believe in God, but if I were going to church, I'd go there. I want to be part of that church. That's the one I would want my family at, and that is my hope, and that's my, my, my desire through this message series is that we, we learn how to do that. We learn how to be the example, to be the salt and the light, yes. right? Salt makes things better. Light makes things brighter. We're called to do both. Kind of reminds me of the time that Boudreaux got a thermos. <laughs> yeah. Y'all know what a thermos does, right? Well, Boudreaux, he'd never had a thermos before. And uh, somebody got him this thermos. He took it to work with him in Thibodeau. He goes, man, what that is? Boudreaux says, this is a thermos. He said, well, what do it do? Boudreaux said, well, it, it keep hot things hot and it keep cold things cold. Thibodeau said, how do it know? Boudreaux said, I don't know. It just know. He said, well, what you got in that thing? He said, I got a bowl of gumbo and two popsicles. Both, right? He's going to do both. Stand firm and love well. Gumbo and popsicles. And that's what God's called us to do is he's called us to do both of these. And it's possible, by the way. It's possible for us to do this. So we're not supposed to retreat. We're not supposed to run from the culture. We're not supposed to run away from all of the things that are happening in our society today. I think we're supposed to stand firm in it and love people well in it and let our lives be attractional to them that they would want what we have. And that's why Jesus prayed for us. And, and John, he says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Listen, church, you're going to have to stay in the world. Like, you, you have to stay here. You don't get to, like, just be raptured right now while the rest of us stay here and, and, and do everything else. No, you've got to be in the world. And so if you're going to be here, Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out. God, I'm asking you to protect them while they're here. 
Protect them from the evil one because they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. And that's our lesson. That's what we're learning is that we can be in this world without being of this world. We can influence the culture without acting like the culture. Come on, somebody. We can live in it without living like it. And that's the challenge for us. And so today, what I want to do is I want to expose the number. There's one thing behind all sin, behind all separation from God. And that's what we're calling the Babylon mentality. As we study the book of Daniel, it's the Babylon mentality. It's this mentality that says, I do whatever I want to do. I, I get to choose. I get, I get to live how I want to live. And, and if you know anything about the book of Daniel, it's, it takes place in Babylon, in modern-day Iraq. If you've ever wondered, where was Babylon? It is modern-day Iraq. That is where it took place. In same location, different name. And I want to propose to you today... That Babylon is not a locality, it's a mentality. Yes. It's not a location, it's, it's a way you think. It's a way that you live your life. It is core beliefs that you have taken on. And I would even go as far to say it's a spirit that has been at work since Genesis, the book of Genesis. Yes. Since the Garden of Eden. And I'll show that to you in just a second. But my goal for us today is what I hope to do, my goal for us is that I want to help you have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness. I want to help you have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but let's expose them. Let's expose this Babylon mentality that's trying to pull us away from God, all right? And so if you, if you know much about Scripture, maybe if you don't, let me help you uh, understand this, but this Babylon mentality shows up in the very first book of the Bible in, in the form of a serpent, this serpent comes to Adam and Eve and comes to Eve and says, Eve, let me, let me tell you something. You can't trust God. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, hey, you can't. You, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree over there, it's because he knows if, he, if you eat from it, you're going to be like him. He's trying to keep something from you, Eve. You can't trust God. You, you can't believe God. And then just a few chapters later in chapter 11, we see how this group of people get together and they decide they're going to build this empire. They're going to build a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel. And, 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 uh, and just a few chapters later, Genesis 11 says that they said, come, let us build ourselves. I want you to notice the language. It's all about us. It's about me. Let's let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. It has nothing to do with God. It's not about advancing the kingdom of God. It's not about advancing the cause of, of Jesus Christ. It's about them. It's about, it's about us. And so you go on to a couple, a couple verses later. It says that's why it's called Babel. They had this plan that it was going to be all about them. And they were, they were going to do this incredible thing that was all about their purpose, their pleasure. And God says, I'm going to call it Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. So the word Babel literally means confusion. Confusion, that's what it means. Babylon is a place of confusion. And there are a lot of people today who are living confused lives. Come on, somebody. If, if, if you are going to follow any other way than God's way, it's going to end up in confusion and in chaos. 
And we're living in a culture today that's confused about identity, confused about sexual identity, confused about gender, confused about life. That's, it, it's crazy to think that there are deranged gunmen who will go around and just mow people down. And when that happens, we go, where's God? Where's God in all of this? And the truth is, he's right where we left him. He's right where we left him. And I think what we're seeing today in our culture is a result of us uninviting God from every part of our lives. We uninvite God from, from schools. We uninvite God from justice systems. We uninvite God from, from the way that we lead from workplaces. We uninvited God. And that's what happens when we say, God, our way is better. Uh, it's not just in the first book of the Bible. It's also in the last book of the Bible, this Babylon mentality. It says the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of abominations of the earth. And what, what does that mean? Well, everything ungodly has its roots in this mentality, right. has its roots in the Babylon confusion, this, this mentality of confusion. So it's not just, in, not just in the first book, not just in the last book. It's also in the middle book of your Bible. It's in Isaiah. So if you're reading along in the one-year Bible... It was in there this week, Isaiah 41 or 47. It says that it's written to and about Babylon. Listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security, saying to yourself, I am. Now, who else said I am? Anybody know? God did. But now all of a sudden, Babylon says, no, no, no. It's not about God. It's about you. I am, and there is none besides me. See, you've trusted in your wickedness and you've said, no one else sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am. And there is no one besides me. So in your notes, I want you to jot this down. This is the Babylon, Babylon's motto, all right? If it has a motto, this is the Babylon mentality motto. It is, it's all about me. All about me. Nobody else matters. It's not about serving. It's not about what God wants. It's about me. It's self-righteousness. It's pride. It's what I want. And so today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell you what I want you to know, two things I want you to know about the Babylon mentality. And I'm going to give you three things that I want you to do in order to avoid the Babylon mentality. Does that make sense? All right, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, all right, here we go. Let me give you... Two things I want you to know about this Babylon mentality. Here's how you know it's a Babylon mentality. is because Babylon mentality elevates self. It's all about me. It's what I want. It's my desires. It's, it's my pleasure. It's, it's my purpose. It's what I want. And so it shows up in three ways. This Babylon mentality elevates self by being self-adoring. Oh, man, look what I did. Kind of patting yourself on the back. Look at what I've created. Look at how I have done this. Look at the things that I... It's all about me. Me, myself, and who? I. Me, myself, and I. Seeks self-compliments. Now, um, when I was growing up in church, we used to sing songs like, Lord, I lift your name on high. Anybody know that song? Lord, I lift your name on high. And I think this, I think this kind of self-adoring attitude goes... It changes the words a little bit. It becomes, Lord, I lift my name on high. Lord, I love to sing my praises. I'm so glad I'm in my life. 
I'm so glad I came to save us, right? It's that self-adoring kind of attitude. Or, there is none like me. No one else can touch my heart like I do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like me. That's kind of that attitude, self-adoring. It's also self-building. Look what I've done. If it, if it feels good, oh, it, must, it must be good, right? It's this, it's this I, I can do, what about this? I can do without God. I don't need God. I, I don't really need him to tell me what to do. I don't need him leading my life. How about, how about this one? I'll live how I want to live. And God, if I need you, I'll let you know. You're on a need-to-know basis. God, if, if I need you, I'll let you know. I think that's a dangerous place to be. We, we would never start there, but we end up there through this, through this Babylon mentality. Here's number three. It's a self-indulging mindset. It's this mindset that says if it feels good, it must be good. If it feels good, do it. It's a mindset that says if it feels right, it must be right. Or how could a loving God tell me that something that feels so good is wrong? How could a loving God tell me that something that feels so right is wrong? I, I, I don't want anything to do with that. It's, it's a self-indulging kind of attitude. So it's self-adoring, self-building, self-indulging. Let's go to the second one, though. It's not just self-elevating. It's also lowering God. It lowers God. Puts themselves, elevates themselves, but says, oh, God doesn't care. God, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, then he'd let me have some fun. If God loved me, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through right now. If God loved me, my life would be a little bit different. It's God doesn't love me. God isn't for me. God doesn't want good things for me. My life would be better if he was for me. If he was for me, I wouldn't be struggling the way I'm struggling right now. If he really cared, if he was really for me, I wouldn't have to deal with what I've been dealing with. And can I just let you in on a secret? That life is full of suffering. Whether you're a Christian or not, suffering is part of life, but suffering alone doesn't have to be. That's why we do small groups. That's why you got to get in connection with other people because you're not meant to suffer alone. Come on. But you're going to suffer. That doesn't mean God isn't for you. But this is what we believe. We, we lower God. God, he doesn't love me. He's not for me. How about this one? He wants too much from me. He just wants too much. You, you, mean, you mean to tell me that God wants me to change who I am? You mean, you mean to tell me that God is going to require me to to grow, to give up some things, I must be preaching. No, it's good. I'm meddling. Is that what I'm doing? I'm just meddling. You mean, you mean God wants me to give of my time, my talent, and my treasure? He wants too much. He, want, he wants too much for me, and that's the, that's the Babylon mentality. Elevate self. Lowers God, and we're calling it out in Jesus' name. That's, it's not who God's called us to be. We're not going to stay here. We're going to recognize it, and we're going to avoid this kind of mentality in Jesus' name. 
But we're studying Daniel 4 today. So we've been through Daniel 1 for a couple weeks. We went to Daniel 3 last week. This week we're in Daniel chapter 4. And we see this Babylon mentality played out in none other than King Nebuchadnezzar. And you're going to learn some stuff from old King Neb. He's got something to teach us, all right? So we're going we're to start Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. This is where we begin today. We're going we're gonna to begin our quest on what are the three things that we need to do. All right, here we go. Daniel 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He, was, he had everything he needed. Another way to say this is that King Nebuchadnezzar was self-righteous. Self-righteousness often comes with affluence when we have enough that we don't really need anything else. It comes when, when we're, I'm not really addicted to anything. I mean, my life's good. All my kids are, they're acting pretty good right now. Like, life's good. Like, like what do I need to be saved from? That's self-righteousness. Why do I need church? Why do I need God in my life? And this is where Nebuchadnezzar was. He was contented and he was prosperous. And so for the, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the rest of it. I'm going to tell you the story, okay? Tell, tell it to you just for time's sake. So here's what happens. He's in his palace, falls asleep. He has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a massive tree growing over Babylon. It's got this low-hanging fruit. And an angelic messenger comes down from heaven and commands that the tree be cut down at the, at the cut off at the stump but leave the roots. And this, this messenger also said, I, 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 want you to, I want you to leave it there, but here's the thing. That tree that I'm cutting down, it represents, the person it represents is going to be driven insane. They're going to be driven into the wilderness. They're going to be driven into a deranged mindset. And then he wakes up, and nobody can tell him what the dream means. He's surrounded by all of these magicians, all of these sorcerers, all of these people who should be able to interpret the dream. They can't do it. So he calls for none other than Daniel. Daniel. Daniel has the spirit of God in him. Daniel's also a captive. And so here comes Daniel to influence culture. He's standing firm and he's loving well. And he has a really difficult task of telling the king some very bad news. Now... I wouldn't want to be in Daniel's position because that usually doesn't end well for the guy who gives the king bad news, right? But here's Daniel standing firm, loving well, truth and grace, and he comes in, interprets the dream, and he says, King, you are the tree. That's bad news for the king. But Daniel's, Daniel's okay because he, he's standing firm, he's loving well, he, he wants to influence the culture, and he says, you're that tree. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. You're going to be driven to insanity. Here's another, can I say it this way? You're going to be driven to a reprobate mind. What is that? I don't have time to talk about it today. Romans chapter 1 is a New Testament example of a reprobate mindset that, that people take on. And what God does is he allows you to, okay, you're going to do it your way. Try it. But here's the thing. You'll be back. Come on, somebody. You'll be back. When you, you do it your way, you'll be back. And, 
And so this is what Nebuchadnezzar is going through. I'm going to do it my way. This is how I'm going to do it. And, and he, God allows him to be driven into the wilderness to, through a deranged way of thinking. And, and he's going to stay there for seven years. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge. So you're going to have that kind of lifestyle. You're going to be eating grass, acting like animals, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign, that the Most High is the Lord of all kingdoms on the earth. So the command to leave the stump, he says, King, here's some good news. All right, you're, you're going to be driven to a place of insanity, a reprobate mind, but here's the good news. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. You're going to have to come to your senses and recognize that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's nobody else like him. He gives you everything that you have in this life. And that is where we pick up the rest of the story. So, um, at this moment, what, what happens is uh, Nebuchadnezzar decides, he decides that he's going to do it his way. Now, if I were king Nebuchadnezzar, I like to think, okay, I'm going to repent. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through this, king. I don't want to do, go through this, God. But King Nebuchadnezzar decides, I'm going to do it my way. But I, I, want, I love, let me go back, let me show you this. I love how God leaves a chance, a second chance. I'm going to leave the stump of the tree with its roots so that you have a second chance. And for everyone in this room today, I don't know where your walk is with God. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're, what you're desperate for. I don't know where you're at in relationship with God, but this is your second chance. Amen. This is it today. It's for you. God leaves that stump. He leaves the roots so that you can come back to him. All right? So, so King Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to God. He didn't listen to Daniel. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to keep doing the things the way I've been doing it. I, he's, he's, he's just so deep in this Babylon mentality. I'll do it my way. I'll elevate myself. I will lower God. And so 12 months later, he's walking around on the roof of his palace. He's looking out over all of the kingdoms that he oversees. King Nebuchadnezzar is credited with building the hanging gardens of Babylon. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And as he's on the top of his roof, he begins to think about all that he has created. Man, look what I have done. Look at all that I have created. And at that moment, the Bible says he was driven from people into the wilderness to live in insanity for seven years. And here's where we pick up the story. For seven years, he lives like that. And then, check this out. He says, at the end of that seven years, the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to heaven, and my sanity was restored. The Bible says, where does my help come from? Does it come from the government? No. Does it come from the people around me? No. Does it come from the workplace? No. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He lifts his eyes to heaven, and he realizes, I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing. I'm poor in spirit. That's one of the beautiful attitudes we talked about this summer. And he says, I praised the most high when I realized 
where I was at when I realized that God is who he says he is. I praise the most high, honored and glorified him who lives forever. He starts preaching here. He starts prophesying that his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say, what you doing? Nobody can say, what have you done? And at that moment, at that same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And here's the thing. He says, now, now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify God. You got to think about this. Then, beforehand, it was his way. Beforehand, he was elevating himself. But now, he says, now I praise and glorify God. Now, now I realize it's not all about me. Now I realize that my life is not about my pleasure and my desires and my purpose and what I want and how me, me getting my way. Now I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. And what we see right here in this one verse is three things that I want to help us do today. All right, it's three, three statements that I want to give us for how to live our lives, for how to avoid the Babylon mentality, all right? And, and they're, they're actually three statements of I will. And typically, I will statements are prideful statements. I will do this. I will be made known. I will be lifted up. I will, right? But what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take the focus off of I, off of us, and we're going to put it on God. And we're going to learn from King Nebuchadnezzar three statements we can make to avoid the Babylon mentality. Are you ready? Because I'm giving it to you. Y'all aren't ready. I'm giving it to you anyway. Go on. Here we go. Here we go. Number one, first, thing we can, first statement we make is I will exalt God. And not just on Sundays. Not just when we're in the house of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, brother. Oh, praise his name. Hallelujah. No, no, no. Every day. I'm going to exalt him every day. I'm going to make him famous every day. I'm going to lift him up every day. I'm going to magnify the Lord every day. I'm going to make him known every day in every part of my life, every single day. It's not about me. It is about him. He gets all the glory. And I love what Psalm 145 says. I will exalt you. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Reminds me of that old song. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, Lord. We exalt him every day. When my feet hit the floor, it's not about me. It's not about what I want, my desires, my retirement, my job, my whatever. No, no, no. It's about you, God. This is about you. So I'm going to exalt the Lord. I'm going to magnify him. And here's the thing. You can't magnify. You can't exalt two things at one time. You can only magnify or exalt one thing. And, and when you exalt God, you will influence culture around you. You'll, exalt, you'll influence the culture around you. Here's number two, all right? Second thing is I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge God. 
I'm going to acknowledge his way is better. Nebuchadnezzar said, your ways are just and right. I acknowledge you, O Lord of heaven and earth. I acknowledge you as the one who is right, the one who is able, the one who does great things. We acknowledge that God's word is right. Amen, everybody? His word is true. His word is, his word is filled with hope. His word is filled with life. His word is filled with joy. His word is filled with, with purpose. So I'm going to acknowledge God. I'm going to acknowledge that he is part of everything that I do, everywhere I go. I'm going to live my life to please him because his way is better. His way is better. This is not my church. It's his church. You're not my people. You're God's people. I don't, I, I don't know why God chose me. I don't know why. But I'm so thankful that he pulled me out of the mire. He pulled me out of muck. He pulled me out of addiction. He pulled me out of brokenness. And he put my feet on a rock. And he, he pulled me out of all of the darkness and all of the sin and all of that. He pulled me out of all of that... He didn't choose me because my life was innocent, because I was perfect, because I was good enough. He chose me because I was available, because I just said, I'll acknowledge you and I'll put my hope in you. And I stand here today by the grace of God, not because, I, not because I'm good at it, not because God gifted me in anything. I stand here not because I'm better or perfect. I stand here flawed. I stand here with insecurities. I stand here with brokenness in my life still. But I acknowledge God. God, I belong to you. This is your church. This is your people. This is not about me. When you live that kind of life, you won't cave into culture. Um, every Sunday, after the third song, I, I sit right over here, I stand and worship. And after the third song, I always go back behind the platform. It's a little bit of a walkway back there and I just pace and I pray and I, I just prepare my heart to come give this message. Every service. And there's two signs back there. They're actually on either side of the platform. And to me, it's a game day sign. Every Sunday, I lay my hand on this sign. And I say it's a privilege. To be on this platform. I don't deserve this, God. And I will go anywhere you call me to go. I'll do anything you call me to do. It doesn't have to be at City Hope Church. I want it to be. But it doesn't have to be here. God, you did this. You're doing this. It's not me. And I ask, and with tears in my eyes, I'm telling you every Sunday, I'm holding back tears every Sunday to just, God, thank you for choosing me. Lord, don't let pride into my heart. I don't want to let pride in my heart because when pride walks on, God walks off. And that leads me to number three. Actually, one more verse before I get to number three. There's something I feel like maybe for, for some people in this room today, maybe you've built something in your life. Maybe you've made a lot of money. Maybe you've been successful in oil or gas industry. Maybe you've built a company. Maybe you've experienced some accolades. Maybe you've, you've seen great success in your life as the world would determine success. And you are tempted to think, look what I've done. 
Look at what I've created. Man, have you seen the investment accounts? Look at what we've done. I just want to say, hey, you didn't do any of that. That was God. That was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords working on your behalf. And that's why Paul would say to us, what are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if, and if all you have, if every bit of your success in life came from God, why are you acting like you had something to do with it? Let's turn the glory back to God. Let's turn the worship back to God. I acknowledge this came from you. Everything that's happening here, it all belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody. And when you live a life like that, your culture can't touch you. Here's number three. Is that I will humble myself. I want you to write the word humble and then circle myself. Because that's the hardest thing to do. Is to humble yourself. And here's... Here's the thing. It's going to be a whole lot better if you humble you than if God has to humble you. <laughs> Humility's coming. It, it, it's just, you get to choose. Do you, want, do you want to humble yourself or do you want the world to humble you? Do you want to humble yourself or is culture going to humble you? Are you going to humble yourself or is the devil going to humble you? Are you going to humble yourself or is, is it going to take God humbling you? That's why James begs us. He says, hey, humble yourselves before the Lord. You do it. You go low. You, you take the low seat before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Don't try to lift yourself up. You go low. You, you humble yourself and let God lift you up. Let God raise you up. And here's the thing. You get to choose. Is it going to be humility or humiliation? Am I going to go low or am I just going to act like I did it all and am I going to have to do what King Nebuchadnezzar went through? Which one's it going to be? Humility or humiliation? C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Roy Stockstill is uh, the founding pastor of an incredible church in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge Louisiana. It's called Bethany World Prayer Center. Decades later, it's still a life-giving church in South Louisiana. He's credited with saying this, that a man on his face can never fall from that position. When you go low, when you say, it's we before me, it's service over status. I humble myself. It's not about me. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take the accolades. I'm not going to take the credit. I'm going to deflect. I'm going to say, God, you did this. I humble myself. And what, what does this mean? It means that a, a man of humility is dependent on God. A man on his face is desperate for God's presence. A man on his face is determined to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. A man on his face is driven by humility. A man on his face says, God, your will, not my will. Your will be done. Amen, everybody. Hey, let's, uh, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let me ask you, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's He speaking to your heart today? What's He whispering to your heart? What's He asking of you? What's He, what's he putting on your mind? And as you think about that, 
I want to pray. Father, I, I pray right now for every one of us. Lord, for, for every one of us who maybe, maybe we're struggling with this Babylon mentality right now. We've been thinking about all that we've done and all that we've created. And maybe we've been enamored by some things that we've experienced in the world. God, I'm praying right now that you'd bring us back to a place of humility, that we ourselves would, would go low, that we ourselves would become humble. We would humble ourselves, that we would exalt you Lower ourselves and exalt you that, that we would decrease and you would increase in our lives today. Father, I'm praying right now for the presence of God to just lead us and guide us every step of the way as we acknowledge you in everything that we do. Lord, that everything we have comes from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We didn't, we didn't do any of this. We didn't earn any of this. It wasn't something that we achieved, God. It was you who gave us every good and perfect thing that we have. And we say thank you for it today. Let us walk in your humility. With your heads bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here today and, and maybe you're far from God, maybe, maybe you are living a life full-fledged Babylon mentality. It's your way or no way. You see, sin is your way. Salvation is God's way. And maybe today you've been doing it your way. You've been in control of your life. You've been calling the shots. You've been living your life however you want to live. You've been doing it your way. And you, you realize that today you've been living in a Babylon mentality. A, you've been living in a mindset that has just pulled you so far away from God. And you can come back to God. I told you there's a chance Today, this is your chance to come back to God, to make Him the Lord of your life, to surrender control of your life. And it starts with humbly coming before Him and saying, God, will you be my Lord? Will you be my Savior? Will you direct me? Will, will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Will, will you wash me new? Will you make me new? Will you purify my heart? So today, if you're here, you're far from God, and you want to be cleansed, you want to be made new, you want to leave that Babylon mentality and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. On the count of three, I want you to boldly lift up your hand. If that's you, one, two, three. Come on, slip up your hand right now. All across this place, I see you. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else would say, that's me, Ben. I'm going all in. Seven, I see you in the back. Anybody else? I'm going all in today. I surrender my life. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Come on, anybody else? I'm so proud of every hand. Thirteen. So proud of you, 14, 15. Every one of you, every hand up, Lord. Lord, I pray right now for every hand up, God, that you would encourage them today, strengthen them today to walk in your power, walk in your grace, to leave the life, the Babylon mentality, to surrender to you in Jesus' name. All right, we say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life, all of me. Will you forgive me, cleanse me, Wash me. Make me new. Purify me. From this day forward, I'm yours. I will live for you the best that I know how. Will you forgive me? Strengthen me as I live for you. As my Savior, my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, church. Let's give Jesus the